Hello, in this lecture we're going to talk about accounting objectives and principles. At the end of this, we will be able to list the accounting objectives, explain why they are relevant, list accounting principles, and explain why the accounting principles are relevant. So we'll look at the core accounting objectives and principles within the accounting process in terms of both regulatory, why they're important in terms of regulation, as well as why they're important in terms of just best practices, the best use in order to get the best information. So the accounting objectives is to provide useful information to investors, creditors, and others. So in essence, the accounting objectives are there to provide information for external users. So we're talking about financial accounting here. When we think about the financial accounting, we're thinking about external users. So whenever we're looking at the picture, we're looking at the viewpoint, the frame, as the company putting the information together in order to be useful for external users, those people outside the company, who are those people? Investors are often the first things that we think of. Those are going to be the people that are, are investing, buying, and selling stocks. If you're talking a publicly traded company, those include the public, of course, and they could include people in their 401k plans and things like that. Outside investors also include the banks. Uh, if you want credit, a creditor and the IRS, if we're talking about uh, tax returns and things like that. So we are the company. We're providing the information to the external users, always in that viewpoint when we're thinking about financial accounting. Now, when we do move to managerial accounting, uh, we will use much the same information, but the perspective is different. We're, we're prospecting it towards the internal users, and they're going to have different needs. We'll use the same information, but we may compile it a lot differently, and we may look for different information, as well as the standard financial data that we will be pulling from. So we want to provide information that is relevant, reliable, and comparable. You'll see this very often, relevant, reliable, comparable information. Obviously, the information needs to be relevant. It needs to be relevant for the decision-making process. It needs to be relevant to the people who need to make the decisions. Who needs to make the decisions? The external users, the investors, the banks, the government. It needs to be reliable. So reliable meaning it needs to be accurate, of course. And the people that are looking at it, Need, it needs to be accurate so that they so it's accurate for their use. Also needs to be accurate over time so that people have trust, have faith in the financial statements and that they are correct. And there's a couple ways we do that. We make a consistency, we make rules that are consistent so that people know what the rules are, and we have uh, systems like audits and what, especially for publicly traded uh, companies, in order for the financial statements to be reliable. And that is a huge, huge benefit in the in the U.S. Uh, we have a huge benefit in terms of having a more reliable system a lot of times because of the auditing process. And we may not think that a lot of times because we see like corporate scandals and corporate frauds and those are the major cases that happened. But really the, the U.S. draws in a lot of money, a lot of capital, a lot of investment from not just U.S. citizens but from throughout the world. And part of the reason for that is that uh, our financial statements are more reliable in some ways compared to a lot of places uh, because of the standards that we put in place and because of the regulatory policies that we have in, in, in those situations. So that's a variable, very valuable thing to have. They also need to be comparable. So what does comparable mean? What do we need to compare it to? Well, the financial statements in this period needs to be comparable to last period. Last year needs to be comparable to this year. We need to be able to compare this company to some other company. Now, wh why is that important? From a regulatory standpoint, that's important because what we're trying to do is facilitate trade. We're trying to facilitate that, that trust again and make things reliable. And that means that investors want to, we want to make things easy on the investors. So we don't want investors to say, hey, this, this company records the thing this way and this company records the thing this way, or we recorded it this way last year and this way this year. What we, what we want is a standard set of principles 
And we want the investors to be able to look at those, the banks to be able to look at those, the IRS to be able to look at them and say, hey, this is the way it should be, and we know the way it is, and therefore we're comparing this type of the way the financial statements are to the same type. So we're, we're comparing like baseballs to baseballs, or apples to apples, as they say. So the same thing to the same thing. And so that's going to be the, the idea. So when we think about that type, why do we have these, these standardizations? Why is everything so standardized in financial accounting? Because we, we want that comparability. Now, the fact that it is standardized doesn't mean that everything came up with just the set of rules. Of course, the standardization process is looking for best practices. So generally accepted accounting principles, the standards that we have to make the financial statements comparable, are usually best practices. It's, we're trying to compile the best practices, make them the system that everybody uses, and therefore we get both best practices so the business side of it uh, is happy as well as we get uh, comparability. That's obviously the goal, but things do change over time, and if things improve, then the, the comparability needs to change as well. All right, so here's going to be the, a list. We're going to go over a list of the accounting principles and assumptions that we have. Then we'll dive into each one of them and talk about them a bit more in depth. So we're going to talk about the measurement principle. We're going to talk about the revenue recognition principle. We're going to talk about the matching principle. We'll then talk about the full disclosure principle, the going concern assumption, monetary unit assumption, and the business entity assumption. So we'll go through those in more detail at this time, starting with the measurement principle. So the measurement principle says that we are going to be accounting for information based on cost. And that seems kind of obvious. Of course, we account for things at cost. But uh, it, th there are some circumstances when we want to dive a little bit deeper into that. So, for example, if we bought something like a building for $100,000 for the business, obviously when we buy it, if we paid $100,000 cash, we would put the building on the books at $100,000. That seems fairly straightforward. Why is that why is that relevant? Why would we do that? First, we, we want to note that we're going to put it on for $100,000 cash and not like one building. Obviously, we're not going to put on the balance sheet. We have one building. We have to put, we have $100,000 building this. We are also assuming that that $100,000 is the fair market value at that point in time. So when we purchase the building, that $100,000 is the fair market value at the time of purchase. Why is that the fair market value? Because we, the assumption is in a free market, if we have two people that have all the relevant information, and that's what we're hoping to happen here, that we have two people that have all the relevant information. If they freely go into a trade in a free market, that's the definition of the fair market value. Whatever that price is, is the market price. That's the fair market value price because it was sold on the fair market value. So that, that is 100000 would be the value of the building at that point in time. So a couple questions. You might be saying, well, what if we finance the building, obviously? What if we bought it not for cash, for a liability? Well, the idea is that we would still have purchased it for cost, meaning uh, it would still be on the books for 100000 even if we financed a large part of the building. The other question that comes up oftentimes is going to be, well, what happens over time? What happens when we leave the time period in which we purchased it, which, of course, that is the fair market value, and we go to a few uh, time periods, a few years down the road, and we know what happens in theory. We know that the, the building is going to de deteriorate in value, and we actually record the depreciation. That's what we record depreciation. But we record a depreciation in an account called accumulated depreciation. And in the case of a building, we still have the building on the books at cost, at the 100000 less the accumulated depreciation. So now we have it at cost, and we have the accumulated depreciation, and we have the book value. But what happens if the building went up in value, which we've seen happen? Of course, it's, there's a lot of factors that could say that the fair market value of the building would actually go up. Uh, and not down, even though there's deterioration on the building because of many different factors, such as 
just market value and, and what happens around the building and whatnot, property value of the building. And note, uh, under this principle, currently under the, uh, the U.S. GAAP, we're still writing it down. A couple reasons for that, or there's a couple arguments to do that and not put it on there at the fair market value. And this is a kind of a debate that's there on some of these types of issues. Should we revalue this if the market went up? One is that the idea that if we keep it on there at cost when the value goes up in terms of the market is that the market could fluctuate. It could go up and it could go down. And if we keep it on there at cost or the lower of cost or market, at least, that would mean that we're being more on the low side. And when we think about the uh, standpoint of regulation, we would rather, you know, under-report the assets than over-report the assets. That's not from the standpoint of the company, of course, probably. That's probably from the standpoint of regulations when we have regulatory policy because we really don't want like financial statements and investors and people investing their 401k plans and whatnot in statements that are overstated. So that from that standpoint to have the financial statements understated would be preferred. Now the other argument to record and keep recording something at cost even though there's fluctuations in the fair market value is that in, in the case of something like a building we don't know what the fair market value is because the building is unique. There's no other building exactly like that building. So it's not like we can see exactly what that fair market value is until someone sells it on the free market, which would tell us the fair market value. Now, we could get appraisals and stuff like that. We could get estimates and appraisals. And there's a couple, of course, an estimate and appraisal would be a bit costly to do it. And it's also concerning that the estimate and appraisal is just an estimate. It's not the actual fair market value because we don't know it until it's sold. Therefore, we could get, you know, a high appraisal or a low appraisal. So... When we get into an estimate like that, we could have higher or low estimates. Now, we have estimates somewhere in many other areas in accounting. It's not unusual to have estimates, but that's another kind of issue when we think about uh, recording things at fair market value. So those are, the, those are kind of the arguments there. If we look at some other things that are more measurable than things like buildings and fixed assets, such as if we're talking about stocks and bonds, uh, stocks, if, if depending on how long we're going to hold it, we'll talk about this later, but just to touch on this issue, uh, we actually do at some times record the stocks at the fair market value. Why is it different stock price more than we would record what's the argument for doing that rather and not doing that for the building? Well, there's a bit of a stronger argument there because we actually kind of know exactly what the fair market price is when we think about publicly traded stocks or something that's on a stock market. Because if, we were, if I want to know how much Apple stock trades for, then all I have to do is see what it's trading for. <laughs> as of today and that's basically the fair market value as of today so we don't have to sell the stock in order to know the fair market value because the stock is not really unique it's exactly the same as every other stock that's being sold every day as opposed to something like a building which is unique meaning there's no other building being sold and therefore it's very it's, you know more difficult to get an appraisal so in any case basic principle accounting information is, is based on uh, the cost and uh, we will re have some variations of that, some debates on that in certain areas within that at a later time. Revenue recognition principle. This is one of the core, core, core principles. Revenue recognition principle is the accrual principle. One of the two main accrual principles says that we're going to recognize revenue when it is earned. So first thing I want to point out, revenue is not cash. Cash is not the same thing as revenue. Revenue is not the same thing as cash. So revenue represents what we have earned the idea of us earning something, cash is the major normal form of payment. Now, oftentimes, these two things happen at the same time. Oftentimes, depending on the type of company, uh, we earn the revenue and we get the cash at the same time. 
And so it, it happens to be at the same time. That's why we can oftentimes use cash as an indicator of when revenue is earned. That's the cash principle. Cash principle is saying, hey, cash is a good enough indication of when revenue is earned. And it's easy to track cash. So let's, let's use cash to track revenue, even though it's not a perfect way of tracking revenue. For example, if we sell things uh, in a retail store, we earn the revenue when we give the inventory over at the counter. We uh, get paid cash when they give us the cash at the same point in time. So that transaction happened to be the fact that revenue and cash happened at the same time. And therefore, a cash basis would work really well there because the cash basis uh, would tell us very reliably if that's the only type of transaction we have when the revenue was earned because they just happened to happen at the same time. But it, there are many circumstances when it can happen at a different time. So, for example, if we did something like a service company, if we were the accounting firm or the law firm and we did work, then we usually we do work and then we bill the client. So that means we did work now and we bill the client later and we're going to get a check in the mail. Well, now there's, there's clearly a, a difference between the time that we earned the money and the time that we received the money. So we should record uh, under the perfect ideal method. We should record revenue when we earned it not necessarily when we receive the money. And we can think about that intuitive, like, intuitively if we think about us working for a company and the company happened to pay us at the end of the month. If we worked for the company for two months or two weeks and then we got another job, we worked somewhere else, we would still say we earned the money. We would still say, hey, you, you got to pay us for that two weeks that we worked last month. You owe us the money. Why do we owe you the money? Because we earned it, you know. And they can't really say, well, no, you didn't earn it till we pay you it at the end of the month because it doesn't get earned till you know the work was done. We earned the money. Therefore, we need to get paid. The same thing happens on the, on the cash, uh, on the revenue recognition for a business. When we earn the money, that's when we want to record it. Now, are there instances when we may not get paid? And will that be a problem? Yeah, that could be a problem. We might not get paid for work that we have earned. And then we're going to have to write it off. And we're going to have to deal with that. And also note that we just pointed out the fact that um, we, uh, from a regulatory standpoint, we would rather have the, the financial statements understated rather than overstated in a lot of ways. And if we recognize revenue when it is earned for a lot of clients who end up not paying us, then we've overstated our income statement, right? That's going to be kind of an issue. We'll have to deal with that later on. And the way we'll deal with that is we'll, we'll try to estimate how much of that will not be paid. We've got to disclose the fact that, hey, we've got a pretty, we've got some rate of return that is not going to be paid and we'll have to recognize the idea that it will be marked down. Also note that it's possible for us to overstate the financial statement because there could be times when we get paid before we do the work. For example, we could say, hey, I'll do six months of, of the bookkeeping next month, but you need to pay me up front. So we could get the money now and then, and then do the work later. If we recorded under a cash basis the, the revenue now, we would have overstated revenue. We, we didn't earn it. We, we're going to earn it when we do the work, and that's not going to happen till the, next, till the next six months. So very important principle, revenue recognition principle. That's basically the income side of the income statement. When do we recognize revenue or income? And now we're going to talk about the expense side of the income statement, which it means when do we recognize expense? That's often called the matching principle. So the matching principle it's kind of the same as the revenue recognition principle. The easy way to put it would be that when do we recognize expenses? When we consumed something in order to help us generate revenue in that time period. So what's the goal of the company? To generate revenue. And the expenses, the only reason we have them is, is in order to help us 
to generate that revenue. So for example, if we had uh, utilities expenses, we um, used the utility in order to help us generate revenue in that time period. We have salaries expense. We used the, the labor, the work, however, in that time period in order to generate revenue. That's when we should record that information. Now, a, lo a longer way of putting this, if we think about the consumption of something or the use of something from the balance sheet side, would be that expenses are recorded when an asset is consumed or liability is incurred uh, in the same time period as the revenue it helped to generate. Meaning, when we pay the utility bill, we paid it with the asset of cash. We used up the cash, we used up the asset to pay the utility bill in order to help us generate revenue in that time period. That's why it's an expense. When we pay the employee, we pay the employee consuming cash in order to help us generate revenue. And that's why it's going to be an expense in that time period. As opposed to us paying cash in order to buy like a forklift. If we paid cash to buy the forklift, we still consumed the asset of cash, but we bought something that hasn't helped us to generate revenue yet. It's going to help us generate revenue in the future. So <laughs> that means that's the difference between the asset and the expense. So we still consumed the cash, but we consumed it to buy another asset. We didn't consume it in order to pay for something that we used up this time period. And uh, we also can think about the idea of, of a liability. What if we put the utility bill, what if we paid it on the credit card? We didn't have the money, we paid it on the credit card. Well, now we didn't consume asset of cash, we incurred a liability. We incurred a liability, why? To help us to generate revenue in this time period. So we incurred the liability in order to pay for the utility expense, we paid for the utility expense in order to help us generate revenue. So the matching principle is going to be the idea of the expense side. When do we recognize expenses? Revenue recognition, when do we recognize revenue? All right, now we have the full disclosure principle. So full disclosure principle means that the details that would be impact a user's decision should be reported. Details that would impact a user decision should be reported. So anything that is relevant to the user, that meaning that if it was on there, it would change what they would be, how they would behave then by relying on the financial statements, then it should, really should be on there. For example, if we had something like an impending lawsuit or something out there and we thought that it, it, there's a probability that the lawsuit could be uh, come to pass and we would owe money that's like, significant, if it, was, if it was not material, then maybe it's not as big a deal. But if it's, if it's significant and it's going to impact the decision making, then we should probably disclose that even though it may not be something that's directly on the financial statements at this point in time. So anything like that that, uh, that should be relevant to the decision making, again, we're trying to look at those external users and we're trying to provide everything we can to be as reliable as possible for the external users for, from a regulatory standpoint as well as from a business standpoint as a whole because the more we do that, the more people will trust the, the information in the long run and therefore more trade will be facilitated. We then have the going concern assumption. So the going concern assumption is one that I, I think a lot of people may not fully uh, think is there all the time. We need to m remember the idea that the, there is a going concern assumption. That means that we assume that the company will not be closed. It's going to be continue to go in business. So when we look at financial statements, when we think about a company in general, we're thinking that the company wants to be there in the long run. If you talk about to a company that has a business plan, and the business plan is like, we're going to get into business for like a year and then we're going to get out of business. That is something that I would be suspicious of because when we, when we have a short-term plan like that, it could be that there's a short-term plan in order to take advantage of a lack of information 
And that's why there is a short-term plan. If we think about a long-term plan, now, of course, a lot of businesses will go into business and then they'll go out of business. But usually we go into business with the intent to be in business for the long run. And that's the assumption we're going to make. And it, if we're not uh, in the long run, if as users of the financial statements, as investors and whatnot, as the bank, and we're looking at the financial statements, if the company is not a going concern, if they're not going to be in business, we can see how that is something that would uh, materially affect our decision making. And it's something that we would need to disclose because it would affect our decision making on it. So if that isn't in there, we have the assumption then that the company is a going concern. If it is not for any reason, if the, if the owners plan to close the business or if it's just not feasible to be in business any longer, then that's something that we need to report, we need to disclose. Okay, we have the monetary unit assumption. Transactions can be expressed in terms of money. Again, this seems obvious, but we it's worth looking into and diving into a bit further. So when we think about the financial statements, we have the balance sheet, we have the income statement. They are, of course, recorded in dollars. So when we put the building and the forklift on there, we couldn't really put one building and one forklift on the financial statements. No, we had to put the building on there at the $100,000, and we had to put the forklift on there at whatever $30,000 on there so we said we had a hundred thousand of of building this and forty thousand dollars worth of forklift this so and if we want to have more detail on that then we have to go to the depreciation schedule and take a look at that now some problems with that is that we first need to recognize that a dollar is a unit of measure and it's an imperfect unit of measure so the dollar itself is like something that changes so we have to recognize that that's going to be one of the problems on there when we think about things that we're going to put on in terms of dollars when we think about cash well, that's not a problem. When we think about accounts receivable, that's not a problem. When we think about inventory, now we have units that we're going to have to convert to dollars. When we think about things like property, plant, and equipment, now we have units that we're going to have to convert uh, to dollars and measure them in dollars. We also have the business entity assumption. So the business entity assumption means that we assume that the business is a separate legal entity. Now, this is true for all entities. And it's obviously true for a corporation because it's a separate legal entity. But we still make the assumption when we have a sole proprietor, we're, uh, we're treating the recording of the financial statements as if the company is like separate. You know, if you think about a corporation, you can think about it like basically a piece of paper that has human rights and, and to a degree, right? The piece of paper can own property. The piece of paper can owe liabilities, have liabilities, owe people legally in terms of a corporation. Um, but we also think that way in terms of the sole proprietor and we make the financial statements as if this is a separate legal entity. So, of course, we have a separate bank statements. That's why we're going to separate everything, even if we're a sole proprietor. We're going to separate the bank statements. We're going to separate everything out. And we, that when we break out the balance sheet, of course, we're breaking out and we're saying, here's what that separate entity owns. Here's who that separate entity owes it to. And it either owes it to a third party, a liability, a bank or something, or it owes it to us, the owner. That's what the equity section is. So when we think about the equity section on the balance sheet, that's basically, if you think about the balance sheet as a separate legal entity, it's basically this separate piece of paper saying, hey, I owe this much money to those guys who happen to be the owners, right? And so we have to keep that in mind, and that's how we're going to record everything when we think about the financial statements. All right, so now we are able to list the accounting objectives, explain why they are relevant, list accounting principles, and explain why they are relevant as well.